I'm Coach Seb, and this is Running New Mexico. All right, joining me t- today, I've got Danae Dormy. She is a podcaster for the Grounded Podcast coming out soon. She is a Wazelle Voli team member. Um, she is a graduate of Albuquerque High School and Yale and is the Associate Director of College Horizons. Thank you for joining me today. Hi, yeah. Uh, thanks for introducing me. My name is Danae. I'm a citizen of the Navajo Nation as well. Um, so just quickly going through my Navajo introduction uh, just now, just to identify any relations out there, anyone who might share clans, um, might be family members. <laughs> so yeah, happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. I'm so excited to have you. Um, it's so excited to talk about your upcoming upcoming podcast, The Grounded Podcast. And and to just kind of for those people that that don't know you get get a chance to uh, to get to know you a little bit. Yeah, I'm born and raised here in Albuquerque. Although my mom's side of the family, um, we're, we're Navajo, and so her family is based out in Fort Defiance, Arizona, which isn't too far. It's just across the New Mexico Arizona border on the Navajo Reservation, and. My dad's family, um, most of them reside in Tularosa, New Mexico, which is a really small town in southern New Mexico. Um, so we we kind of live in a way equidistant from both places. And, and now we have some family here in Albuquerque as well. Um, so, yeah, I'm really excited. I, I have only been home back home for three years. Um, I left after high school to go to college in Connecticut. And I'm just so happy to be back. It's like a, a homecoming was so necessary for me. <laughs> I was I loved the East Coast, but I was not an East Coast girl. <laughs> I definitely belong in New Mexico. And uh, I have a little sister who's in high school right now. She's actually at Albuquerque High as well. And, um, and she's a, an avid tennis player. So we still go to a lot of sporting events. Um, and my dad's still the coach at Albuquerque High. So I I just wanted to be around for her high school career since high school sports is so important to my family and really is the center of a lot of what we do. It was just important to me to come back home and make that transition. And this is a place and community that means a lot to me. Absolutely. And I think, you know, I definitely want to touch on on some of your Yale time for sure and, and some of those other things. Um, and I want to talk about your dad, but before I do that, you, know, <laughs> yeah. you, talked, you talked about not being an East Coast uh, person at, at all, and and I'm just curious. Like right now, uh, you're you're based in Albuquerque, obviously, and it is. Uh, we're having an, another pretty mild winter. Yes. <laughs> How is that compared to the winters in Connecticut? Completely different. <laughs> I, I was. Uh... 
I was recently laughing with my partner about the fact that we are so resilient to the weather here. Like I could be outside in shorts and it would not phase me. But I feel like my parents are constantly and my sister, they'll say, oh, we're so cold. And we're just thinking, wow, we are just so um, we're so used to it from Connecticut. Maybe that'll wear off one day. (laughs) But we withstood a lot of blizzards. It was actually very difficult to run there. I was not used to it and I was not prepared for it. I lived there for seven years in total because I worked on campus after I graduated um, from Yale. And so I was an admissions officer there and I worked really heavy hours through the winter and early spring. And I trained my first year in admissions uh, after graduating. I decided I was going to train for a half marathon that was happening in February. And it, it ended up great. And I ran a good time and I was happy with it. But I don't think I will ever train for anything um, through the winter like that again. Because I was there would be days where I was out running on like a Saturday morning in like just inches of snow. And I was in three layers. And I was like, how do people do this out here? And I hadn't really trained for a long distance run, um, you know, at that point on the East Coast yet. So I, I was, I definitely was in over my head on that. And I'm so relieved to be at home and pretty much not have to deal with any weather issues. I I can always go running on a trail. Um, Maybe every once in a while we we get hit with a little snow here, but for the most part, um, it's good. I'm also, I have asthma. So as a runner with asthma, the East Coast was challenging (laughs) to say the least. Um, But yeah, I I think it's I think it's definitely a milder climate here. It's what I was born to to really run in, I think, and uh, I'm just I'm grateful that that I'm not hitting so many obstacles anymore in the winter. I I can only imagine. I I just I picture winters up there and all I can think of is, oh, that's why people have treadmills. Yes, exactly. Lots of indoor running, I think, for, for folks. I, I always went outside. I'm, I'm an outdoor runner. I don't particularly like treadmills. So, you know, it has to be really raining or super windy or something has to be forcing me um, maybe to a gym, but I don't own a treadmill. I do my best to get outside. Um, that's something I think that my mom and dad, they love running outside. They love being outside. And so they always encourage me to run in that form. <laughs> That makes sense. And and to go back, you know, on your dad, you mentioned he was a coach. And so for those people that may not be familiar or, or for those that are, um, where, what is your dad coach and where and all of that? Yeah. Um, so most people know him as Coach Dormy, uh, but his name is Doug. So if you are in the running New Mexico community, you may have crossed paths with him at some point. He's uh, currently the head girls basketball coach and the head uh, girls track and field coach and also the athletic director at Albuquerque High School. And prior to his position at Albuquerque High, he spent a number of years at Cibola High School. So that's where I actually <laughs> kind of grew up because I was always on his hip at track meets. I was always at um, you know cross-country meets. I was always at basketball games. So I was pretty much everywhere. I know Cibola's high school campus very well because that is kind of where I grew up and he spent, uh, you know, a good portion of his career coaching there. He won a state championship in track there. Um, And then when I was in middle school, I think we realized, uh, you know, this Albuquerque High is my district. It's where I grew up. My my parents are big believers of sending us to school in district, in our community. And I think, it was important that I had a experience with my dad as my coach and he 
you know, an, a coaching job opened up at Albuquerque High and he was able to make that transition before I even got to high school and um, has really been uh, building that program in both basketball and track for, uh, you know, about a decade now, actually. <laughs> and it feels like just yesterday he he made that transition and now he's the athletic director. So he does a lot for Albuquerque High. I think most people in that community know him well. Like I said, um, my sister went there. I played all four years of basketball for him. I actually was not at all anywhere close to being a standout runner, <laughs> which I <laughs> really chuckle about. I was definitely a basketball player. Um, that's what I spent my whole life doing. It's what I dedicated a lot of my time to. And uh, track and cross country was not my forte, but I really loved running. And I stayed on the varsity cross country team all four years. I did not run varsity track. I was just not fast enough, <laughs> but I love, I loved watching track and I loved being around the team and I loved just being involved in the sport in any way that I could. And I think I, I learned a lot about what it meant to coach a team, what it, what it meant to coach distance runners um, from my dad, who is a distance runner himself as well. So he has a background in this. He ran at University of Colorado Boulder. And we've always gone back to Boulder to to different sporting events throughout the year. So there's a lot of, um, I think, pride in athletics in our family. My grandpa was on the board of the New Mexico Activities Association when I was a kid. He he's since passed, but was also a coach and an and a administrator down in uh, southern New Mexico. So I, it's just really been something that's a, a big part of, uh, you know, who we are and how I was raised. Uh, so, Yeah. <laughs> Wow. Did you ever feel like maybe you'd want to go into coaching because of kind of that background with your dad and your grandfather? Yeah, I definitely did. And, you know, I, I always feel this pull between basketball and running for me because I still love basketball so much. But I think running has just been this constant. I remember my dad telling me when I was a kid that that I can, you know, running is something I can take with me forever. Like I may not play basketball forever and my knees are definitely not allowing me to do so. <laughs> <laughs> and I haven't shot a basketball in, in a while, but he always said, if you keep running, like you can keep up with it and it's something you can take with you forever and it can always be there for you. And I think when I was younger, it didn't really matter how, you know, fast I was at it or whatever. Cause it was a skill. I felt like it was a skill I was building and it was something that I, um, had in my everyday life. And, and I think that even with also my mom and our sort of indigenous background and being Navajo, it was also a real cultural element to it. So I think sports has been important. I have always thought about maybe coaching. I feel like I definitely have the knowledge around it in either sport, but my, I think trajectory has taken me in a lot of different directions. <laughs> I, I definitely wouldn't uh, put it out of uh, the cards yet. You know, who knows what will happen one day. I hope to um, be more involved in, in the high school sports community here in New Mexico, because it is so close to my heart. Yeah, that makes sense. I think, um, you know, your your dad's words there, I think the, that's what all good coaches, you know, say about running. It, it's something that you can take with you your entire life and you don't need, you just need a good pair of shoes really. And, and you can head out and it's just such a great way to stay, stay healthy, stay fit and, you know, the, the mental health mm -hmm. aspect of it is just, I mean, for me, myself is, is amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. And just touching on your dad just for a little bit longer, 
how what was that relationship like to um, have to go home with the coach every day? <laughs> I love that you phrased it that way because <laughs> very few people ask me this and I'm always like, well, just imagine having to go home and eat dinner with your coach every day. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, it, it was, you know, it was great. Those were some of the best years of my life, honestly, just because it was really fun to be coached by my dad and have him coach a lot of my best friends too. But it was, it was also challenging you know, if someone like coaches aren't perfect and also at the same time, they're pushing you to be better. Um, you know, they're maybe giving you pointers on how to improve. And obviously if you lose a big game or things get heated, like other players have to deal with your parent as a coach. So I think understanding those tensions and understanding that nothing was necessarily personal towards me was something I had to work on because if I went back to the locker room and somebody openly criticized like a decision my dad made, I had to understand that like that, you know, I was playing my own game. I was going to be a good teammate. I was never going to put anyone down. And I think I had a lot of those conversations with my dad in terms of how to decompress from those situations. Luckily, I think we all had a pretty good routine and it was most of my best friends playing, um, you know, at that point, because I was my teammates since I was really a kid in, in the club basketball, junior leagues, middle school, and we all grew up together. So you know, I didn't have too many problems. I think, I think if anything, it's just like what you said, going home with the coach is, is a challenge. And it's something I had to learn how to deal with because, you know, he was definitely hard on me. <laughs> he was definitely, um, you know, I, I can say that I was the player who had to stick around the gym for an extra hour and shoot a hundred more free throws. And I think, uh, in that, in that basketball setting, it was, it was hard, but it taught me a lot. And I definitely would not have wanted to play for anyone other than my dad, because I watched him coach for, for years. That was really all I knew at that point. And I, it was my dream to, to play basketball for him. And I, I really thought I was probably going to go to college to play basketball. And then, and then other academic opportunities opened up and I really couldn't turn them down. And I think that's, that's ultimately what made the decision for me in the end. But I, I think basketball was a big part of my life just as much as running. And, and in terms of cross country, I think he kind of just had to be as supportive as he could. And I actually had different um, distance coaches. So even though he was the head girls track coach, I had different cross country and distance coaches um, throughout the year. And that was nice to have a break and just have a, uh, he got to have a parent relationship with me more in that sport and, and come to the meets and watch me and cheer me on. And I don't think that was always easy, right? Like he's the head coach and I wasn't doing so great in that sport. And so, um, you know, he just had to kind of keep encouraging me with my mom. And um, at one point, I think he even asked me, like, are you sure you want to be doing this? Like, are you sure you don't want to quit cross country? <laughs> like, are you happy? And I was like, yeah, I'm happy. And he was like, okay. And then he never asked me again about it, you know. So I think he was just checking in to make sure that I wasn't just doing this, you know, for him or something. But I've always just had a real deep love for running. And it's something I enjoy doing. And I have also some of my best memories in high school are, you know, with the team and, and with my cross country teammates who were all very um, huge standouts and and my really good teammate uh, and friend uh, who's still a friend of mine today um, one of my best friends Beth Wright went on to run at Syracuse um, I had a couple teammates I believe go walk on uh, at UNM so we had a really good cross country team so you know it, it's hard when you're the seventh runner like if there's any seventh runners listening out there or wh whatever the um, size of the teams are now where you're you know you're 
out there and you're not in the top five, you're still a contributing member. And that's something that I always had to keep in mind is like, you know, they can't compete without you in that in that last spot. And and I really kind of held that positivity and was like, I'm going to be the best teammate I can be like that. That's the best I can do. So, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I like that. And I, it's it's it can be hard when you're when you're in that seventh spot and, and fighting and, and, you know, you want to get better, but you're trying not to get, you know, knocked down to JV like I. Like, <laughs> yeah, it, <laughs> It's tough, but yeah, I, I was, I, I'm always curious about this question because, you know, right now my oldest daughter is, is running at Sandia with me and, you know, so trying to find that balance. Luckily I'm not the head coach, so I can always say, well, Hey, the head coach says this, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but going home afterward and, and, and trying to find that balance of, you know, talking and having that conversation of like, okay, this is breaking down those races and, as a parent and a coach, it's, um, you know, it's, it's two very different things for sure. Yeah. But I also see it as setting an example for your child. Cause that's what, that's what happened to me is even if it was challenging, like my dad valued these sports so much, he chose it as his life career. And I, as a kid could see that. And I respected that. And I kind of, that's why I valued these skills and these, um, I think uh, these sports so much because I knew it was something my dad valued and modeled for me. So I think that's something I'm sure your daughter is taking in right now as well. (laughs) Well, that's a great point. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, you talked about these other educational opportunities that came about and, you know, I kind of mentioned it before you, you went to Yale and, and graduated from there how did that come about? And was that even, you know, was Yale even something that was on your radar? Or when did it become on your radar that that you're like, I could go there? Yeah, um, so pretty full circle story, actually, I attended the program College Horizons. And I it's the program I'm now the associate director of. And it is based uh, on Santa Ana Pueblo or in Bernalillo, as most people know it. And we are a national nonprofit that supports Native students and families through the college application process and also graduate school application process. So, so College Horizons runs a summer program uh, annually that happened to be hosted by Yale way back in 2009 when I was uh, starting to think about college. Like I said, I was pretty set on, uh, you know, playing basketball and moving into college as an athlete. And that was obviously something that was already in my family. So, so everyone was on board, I think with that, but my dad and my mom put a lot of, I think, um, it's definitely not pressure, but I think like they wanted, they made sure that I was going to college. You know, they wanted to emphasize the importance of education in our household. They wanted me to find ways to be able to focus on school while I was also uh, an athlete. So very much believing in the student athlete um, lifestyle and, and emphasizing how important it was to, for me to be in the classroom and doing my best there. So because that was, uh, I think, a, a heavy value in our household, I knew that I was doing pretty well in high school. And so my dad and I really started looking into 
different programs I might be able to to get help from. Albuquerque High is a really big school with um, a small counseling team and they did a great job. I really like my high school counselor, but at the end of the day, high school counselors just have a huge caseload. They cannot provide you, typically if you're, unless you're in a smaller private school setting, they often can't provide you the one-on-one counseling you might need. And as a native student, I I wanted to understand the opportunities that were available to me, and I think my parents wanted to support me in that journey. So we, we found College Horizons through a family friend, and I applied to it kind of on a whim. It was this program for Native students. I, I, it was the first time I had really traveled alone. My dad was like, hey, I'm super, I'm super excited that my parents supported me going all the way out to New Haven, Connecticut without them for a week, and uh, College Horizons... Uh, pays for the program. So, uh, you know, my parents didn't have to put a lot of energy or resources into it really. And it was just an amazing opportunity for me because the way the program is structured is you actually get to spend your week working with admissions counselors uh, one-on-one directly on your application, on your college list, on your essay, and you get really advanced counseling for that week. And it's all Native students from around the country. So it, it really was an amazing experience. Um, and I saw you had one of the Lasance brothers on your podcast, but um, yes. uh, JR was actually in my College Horizons cohort. So we became friends through that program. And uh, it's oh, just, wow. it, yeah. And I think all the brothers have actually come through that program. <laughs> um, random shout out. There's been a ton of different runners and community members who have come through College Horizons um, that I've met through that program. But it's it was just such a cool thing because for me, I was often in, even though Albuquerque High is super diverse, I was usually maybe one, one maybe there's two um, native students in any of my AP or honors classes. And so that could be really isolating. And and my like cultural connection has always been really important to me and something my mom has really instilled in us. And I think going to a program where I was with a bunch of other native kids and I didn't have to explain myself. And, um, we were thinking about college and no one was, uh, you know, judging us. I think I withstood like some comments in high school around like, Oh, are you really like, do you really deserve this? Or did you take somebody's spot because you're a native person or do you get to go to college for free, which is a complete myth. So (laughs) I think things like that, um, you're really aware of them as a high school student. And so to bond with other native kids around the country, around it is really important. And that experience changed my life. Yale was really my uh, first impression of a, of a college that was far away and totally different from where I was from. And it stuck with me. And for that last two years in high school, I think I really set my sights on it once I went to that program. And the people I met there, you know, uplifted me and encouraged me. And I needed that. And I said, I'm going to go there and I'm going to do this. And I put a lot of work into it. And I applied my senior year through early decision and I was admitted. And so I'm, yeah, I'm just really grateful for that experience. I continued on to be an admissions officer, actually. So that's how I got interested in that job because of that program. And then after three years of reading uh, college applications, I came back home to help run that program. And that was really important to me to come back home and serve my community, serve the national um, native community. But uh, it's pretty cool because it's 10 years later and my sister was actually just admitted early action to Yale um, a few weeks ago. So (laughs) we're really excited about that too. (laughs) I had seen that on your Twitter account. I thought that was 
really kind of interesting and cool. And I, I think um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think you had posted on it that you take uh, lifelong bulldogs to another level. <laughs> yeah, right. Bulldog Bulldog City is Albuquerque High, and then I I went on and Yale's mascot is bulldogs as well. So <laughs> yeah, we we really did. We took that that bulldogs for life phrase very seriously. <laughs> And and it must be kind of cool to to know your sister is going to be going there too, and and to be able to offer her um, some insight into your experiences there to make it, you know, obviously you're different people, but to help make it successful for her as well. Yeah, yeah. Actually, she hasn't made her college decision yet. She's still applying to other schools, oh, but she, okay. but Yale Yale was, um, I think, her top choice uh, university. So she's she's weighing different options as well. Like I said, she's a tennis player, so that's really important to her as well. And I think just like me, we were both. Um, you know, just just on the cusp of that, you know, can I play Division One sports? Kind of uh, question for ourselves. And I think, unfortunately, Yale's super competitive in both tennis right. and basketball. <laughs> so um, I think it, it's a it's a challenging situation where you're facing. Okay, am I going to go here? Am I going to consider other options? But I'm I'm just trying to encourage her in whatever she wants, and um, yeah, give her as much knowledge as possible. I think I think I wish somebody would have told me what I was in for when I was headed <laughs> out there. And so I've definitely been trying to impart as much wisdom in her as possible because no matter where she goes, being a native student in college is a really crazy transition. Being from New Mexico and going out of state is a really crazy transition. Um, you know, everything, I think from weather to food, but also cultural differences. Um, there's a little bit of that culture shock when you get to college. And that's something I talk a lot to our college horizon students about, but of course I try to talk to my sister about that as well. And, you know, our parents are really supportive, but I think you have to, you have to just mentally prepare yourself for a big change. (laughs) Right. I I think, you know, you mentioned you've been on a couple of other podcasts, running duo podcast and Alley on the Run. You you had an article in in uh, Wazelle and in Runner's World. And I I wasn't able to read the Runner's World one because uh, paywall. But <laughs> oh, yeah, I'll, I'll send you a copy. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but, you know, I know, you know, in, in each of those that I was able to access, you know, you do, you know, it, it, it's interesting coming from it you know, being here in Albuquerque, like you talk a lot about how people don't realize like how many natives there are, how many native runners and this and that. And it's, it's really interesting, like being in New Mexico, being in Albuquerque, it's like, I I feel like, you know, if you've run in New Mexico, like you, you see the native runners, you, you see Laguna Acoma, you see Gallup mm-hmm. and Wingate and, um, you know, right. Yeah. All these places you see, or, or the runners like you that, that, you know, belong to a tribe and are running for El Dorado or Cibola or Sandia or, you know, whoever, like we have that built in and we have that kind mm-hmm. of representation that we're, that we're seeing kind of at a, at a high school level, a smaller level, but we don't always see it, you know, then at that next level in, in college and in, in the pros, mm-hmm. not nearly as, as much, but, you know, you talked about, you know, being at Albuquerque High, again, pretty, diverse population and and you know you were one of one or two in your AP classes and that had to have been even less once you got to Yale 
Yeah. And you know, I'm, I'm really grateful because I actually met my partner at Yale and he is from Albuquerque and also Navajo. So (laughs) we kind of found each other on campus. And I mean, it it really honestly sounds like a total fluke. Like we're like, how did this happen? Uh, But he, he actually went to NACA, the Native American Community Academy for high school. And yeah. And then, and he, he's one year younger than me. So he came to campus and we bonded really quickly because we were the the only two students who were Navajo, um, you know, from New Mexico, kind of from the same area here in Albuquerque, and had a lot of the same values because of that. It, it was so comforting to meet somebody who understood what I was missing, what I was experiencing, what I was feeling, and be able to um, support one another out there. So we, um, yeah, we actually just recently got engaged, which is really oh, <laughs> exciting. Um, <laughs> thank you. Yeah. And and so it's been a long time, uh, you know, just reflecting on this. And, and he's also a big part of my sister's life in terms of us giving her advice around what it means to go to college as natives, as a native student and, um, you know, what she may encounter there. And I was lucky that Yale had a really supportive native community on campus, but we were still small in number. You know, it's like small but mighty. We had a good student group. We had a lot of fun together and we made our own opportunities happen. But at the end of the day, yeah, if you're sitting in a seminar on campus, you know, most of the time I was the only Native student in a class and I was a women's gender and sexuality studies major. Um, So I did a lot of research around like women's activism, um, Native women's rights and uh, reproductive rights, uh, body sovereignty, things like that. And a lot of those classrooms, I would look around and it was, you know, it was very white. I, I didn't often see a lot of other students who were who are asking the same questions or studying the same things as me, but it, it always depend. It, it depended where I was on campus. You know, I spent a lot of time at the native American cultural center and I, I had a very diverse friend group, but Yale itself is still a predominantly white institution. So, you know, you, you learn how to navigate those spaces and kind of understand what, um, what you can do to, to have a good experience for yourself. <laughs> yeah. And I, I mean, I, like you talked about, even just being from New Mexico and going out of out of state for school, you know, uh, there's a lot of places that it's it's going to be completely different <laughs> than than what yeah. our experience is here. So, you mm-hmm. know, a- adding on that other cultural component to it, I-, I can imagine was probably a little difficult at times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely was. Um, but that's part of why I mean, I moved home you know, to, to help counsel students through that transition, uh, for themselves as well. Cause it, it was challenging, but it's something that is important to me. I definitely value education and I think native students should have the best opportunities available and, um, shouldn't sell themselves short, you know, like, like our communities are beautiful places and resilient, um, places. And I think that native students just, are full of so much like life and passion and and a lot of college campuses may not be recruiting in certain areas or may not be um, investing in that recruitment when when you know it's it's native land and they have treaty agreements historically to serve native students educationally and so I um, I was really committed to coming home and 
doing work in that area. But but for me, it's always overlapped, you know, interestingly into athletics and running because a lot of the students we work with also run like like as we were talking about before, like in New Mexico, a lot of native students are athletes, a lot of native students run and it's not uncommon to see um, powerhouse teams in all kinds of sports, basketball, running, you know, um, that are either from native communities or have a lot of native students running. Um, you know, we have a long history in New Mexico with uh, our Pueblo communities and Navajo communities and Apache communities here. So I think for me to, to be able to help out any, anyone I can in the local, uh, you know, landscape here, it, it's just important to me. I, I think that's great. There's, you know, so many, you know, that, that don't get that help. And so, you know, being able to kind of help them navigate and let them see like, these are options for them, I, I think is, is a great thing because, you know, we, we do, we like, we have so many great athletes and, you know, a lot of them, again, it doesn't really work out for in, in the, you know, on that next level. And I think some of it does have to do with the fact that it's just, it is such a culture shock or they really don't feel like it's an option for them. And so I, I think what you're doing through that um, program is, is really important and really good. And I'm glad that you were able to um, see some benefits as well. So you were, you're able to t- kind of talk to them about how it, it helped mm-hmm. you. So yeah. Yeah. And a lot of that comes from my dad too. It's really great to see him as a coach, encourage so many students, um, to pursue sports, uh, you know, past high school. And that has opened so many doors for so many of his runners and basketball players. And he never withholds any opportunities from anyone. You know, he's always asking people what they need. He's always writing recommendation letters and he has had so many athletes go on to have collegiate careers at all levels. And I've really respected that work that he does to encourage students to um, sort of dream big and and see what opportunities are out there. He knows a ton of coaches also in the college scene and is always connecting his players and looking for new opportunities for them and, you know, encouraging them in school as well. So I, I think I see him doing that, you know, at a place like Albuquerque High where it is so diverse and um, most of his teams are, are you know, not non-white students. And I think it's, uh, it's just really, I mean, really like it's, it's inspiring to watch him like serve his own community as well. And these students that he can relate to as a person of color and, um, guide them in their college journey. I think that's, that's awesome. It's just, you know, really speaks to, to how much you look up to him. And, and again, I I know how much your mom has influenced you as well, but obviously that connection with your dad is, is something special. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and I, I want to, you know, jump onto the podcast thing, but I, I wanted to ask you a question that I just, it was something that I've been thinking about that I'm, I'm kind of excited about, but I'm curious how, you know, um, from your perspective, uh, how you feel about this, that we, you know, um, Deb Holland, you know, obviously New Mexico representative, and she was just, you know, recently nominated um, to be such uh, Secretary of the Interior, which I, I just mm-hmm. find amazing. And and I just wanted to hear your perspective on that as well. Yeah, I mean, I think as a Native woman, um, that representation is really powerful. And um, actually, interesting like fact is I went to high school with Deb's daughter, Soma, and she went oh, to wow. Albuquerque High. So <laughs> Deb has always been a part of the AHS community. And uh, it's really cool to just see a family and uh 
and a mom, you know, really get out there and and do amazing stuff and represent the state well. I think she has a tough road ahead. I think the Department of the Interior, to be quite frank, has a really violent history with Native communities. I mean, they oversee a lot of the lands and there's a lot of um, power in that position. So it's definitely encouraging to see a Native person um, hold that position. And I'm, I'm super hopeful for what's ahead and um, can't wait to see her journey. But I, I definitely think she has a tough job. <laughs> I'm sure many people will be watching. But yeah, I think after the after the uh, past, you know, four years that we've experienced um, in our own native communities, but just nationally, I think it's it's nice to have um, just a little bit of hope around around that type of position. And uh, Deb is definitely someone I I look up to and, and support in her journey. And she's a runner, too, which is really cool. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I had recently seen that she's done some marathons and stuff, which is pretty mm-hmm. awesome. <laughs> yeah, it is pretty cool. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited for her. <laughs> cool. Um, and so, you know, again, jumping back to you, you had applied for the recent Tracksmith Fellowship. So when you first saw it, like what what made you think like, oh, I want to do this? And did you have the idea of the podcast before you did it? Or was it something you were kind of thinking of like, well, what could I do? Yeah, um, this, this is actually my first interview about it. So you have the exclusive yeah. scoop. <laughs> awesome. I, I had the idea before the fellowship uh, launched and I was actually thinking about it. The fellowship journey actually kind of delayed my launch, but I'm so grateful that it did uh, because <laughs> it, it helped me plan out so much more than I think I would have before. I have, like I said, always been invested in running. It's always been something I do in my personal time. It's something that pretty much anyone who knows me knows I love running. So I, uh, when I moved home, I knew that reconnecting kind of to the space here and the land here and just kind of amping up my running a little bit more than what I was doing in Connecticut was a goal of mine when I got home. And I always thought about maybe doing either some sort of freelance writing. I've always been interested in journalism. So I I was the editor-in-chief of like the Albuquerque High newspaper way back when, but I also um, wrote on the side for the Yale Daily News in college. And so I used to be the basketball beat reporter. And so I would just go to the basketball games and kind of like do quick little write-ups about the game. It was, it was like nothing big time, but it got me super interested in that Uh, form of writing and I've always enjoyed writing. And so I always thought I want to do something that has to do with running, but can help me share people's stories that can um, help, you know, build community, like help me find connections and find new friends and people who are as passionate about this sport as I am. Um, Because most of the time I just talk to my dad about it, (laughs) which is great. But I'm like, man, like I, I've just been so isolated out in Connecticut for so long that coming home was just important for me to continue to build that community. So I thought about launching a podcast. I'm a big podcast listener, as I know you are, like we probably, uh, kind of fangirl over several, uh, several of the same podcasts and yeah. And I, and podcasting, I think it's, or podcasts or something I listen to while I'm on the run a lot. And it kind of just, it gives me a chance to just take a breather, listen to somebody else talk, talk about their journey. I always learn something. Um, it helps me stay motivated and positive. Like it really does um, bring me a lot of joy. And so I knew pretty early on, like a few years ago, that I really wanted to do something around running. And this was just kind of 
kind of building in my head. It was just a sitting idea for a long time. And I had an opportunity to do a short piece for Runner's World. That's really what sparked a lot of this journey for me um, early on in 2020. So before the pandemic, I did a little like Runner's World Plus member spotlight and started talking to one of their editors and they thought it would be a good idea for me to write a longer piece about it and do like a short essay for them. And so in, in that journey, I realized, okay, like this is still something I can do. Like I love writing. This is a perfect opportunity for me to start, just start trying to do that. (laughs) And, um, once I did that, you know, it kind of sparked several opportunities on other podcasts to talk to people. I started meeting more people and getting a little more encouraged around um, what it would mean to be an indigenous podcaster. There's not a lot of indigenous hosted podcasts out there um, specifically for running. I'm not, maybe there is one and I'm, I'm not super aware of it. Um, if anyone knows any, definitely send them my way. Um, but I, I really was looking for content that, that would be, for me, you know, like as a native woman runner, I was like, where is an interviewer that understands my perspective culturally? A lot of the times when I was getting interviewed, I started noticing that people were asking me very surface level questions. Like they kind of didn't have a good understanding of, um, you know, I mean, they had best intentions, but just didn't have a great understanding of uh, my culture, what it meant to be, and even what it meant to be from New Mexico. So, you know, in a sense, it was also just a, just a huge cultural difference, both in terms of where I was from, from geographically, but also my indigenous culture. And so I learned very quickly, like, you know, these are great interviews, but unless you're non-native, you're probably not getting a lot from my answers because I'm saying a lot of stuff that native people are pretty familiar with. <laughs> like, you know, I'm I'm just I'm just rehashing my general story. And even though all of our stories are very different, I think most native people would be like, yeah, I already kind of know that, or that's something I am aware of that is out in the world that native people experience. So I think I I learned quickly there's a gap here. There's something missing in the podcast world. There's not enough indigenous athletes and runners talking about their experiences or being given a platform to share those very diverse, unique, different experiences that they have. Like we're not one monolith of people. Every native person is different. So all these ideas, I think were really like stirring inside of me. And when I saw the Tracksmith Fellowship in the summer, I knew like, this is it. Like, this is my opportunity to apply for something and lay out the groundwork and just kind of rip the bandaid and do it. And I, and I really needed the encouragement of my partner. I I really have to say like, he really, he really kind of helped, helped me bolster my confidence enough to apply. I almost didn't apply. (laughs) We, yeah, I almost didn't apply. I was like, there's no way I'm going to get this. Like, this is just kind of a shot in the dark. Like it looked like so many things like hundreds of people were going to apply. And he just kept telling me, no, you have a unique idea. Like you have to do this. And he sat down with me and we brainstormed in a notebook one night over a couple of, of local beers. And we were like, okay, let's do this. And, and it was awesome because I am just so glad I did it. It kind of, like I said, on a whim, plotted everything out. He helped me build a budget that I thought was suitable He's into audio stuff and music. And so I think with his help um, on the back end, I felt encouraged that we could put something together. And I kind of just kept going through the process. I went through several interviews with Tracksmith until the final round. So they really um, 
really held out for a few months. (laughs) 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 I applied like, man, I don't even remember September, I want to say. And I didn't know anything really until November. So it was a long haul. Um, I kind of felt like I was applying to college all over again. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, really grateful I did it. The Tracksmith team is really awesome. Um, there's some great people over there and they've been just honestly nothing but kind and helpful and uh, have have funded this project uh, pretty generously. And I am happy to say I have a, a setup now. I'm ready to go. I'm starting to record. And this this winter break was a, a time of um, kind of a little bit of a time of work for me. I had a little rest, but starting up um, some content and I'll be launching at the end of January. So uh, coming soon for sure. And I hope people kind of keep keep an eye out for uh, the podcast. It'll be on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you get a podcast. So, yeah. <laughs> well, awesome. I'm, I'm first of all, so excited to, to hear. I will definitely be, you know, sharing your stuff through, through my site as well, just, just to help. Cause I think it's the more people we have sharing these voices again, what, you know, I, I want to, I mean, I'm not native, but I want to hear those native voices in, in part of the reason I, I try to interview a diverse group of mm-hmm. people as I can, but I don't have the same experiences. You know, I can, I can d- d- dig deep into the New Mexico stuff, but it, it is different. And so I, I'm, I'm excited to, to hear um, what you've got going on. And, you know, you talked about kind of doing some of that writing stuff. Um, you've been on a couple of podcasts previously, obviously now you've been on mine, you worked a little bit on, on the content, you know, what is that like kind of being on, on either side of the microphone? Yeah, it's a different experience. It's a little intimidating. I have to say just even the first time I started, uh, (laughs) recording my intro and things, I was like, man, this is different. Uh, it's different to not be the one to be interviewed. (laughs) And, uh, it was a little nerve wracking, but, I think, hey, if you're going to be a podcaster, the one thing you better enjoy doing is talking, right? right. <laughs> so I'm sure I'm sure my friends and family are like, yeah, Danae has no problem talking. So um, that that's something that I just remember is I really enjoy this. Um, I enjoy hearing other people's stories. I really, really enjoy that. I'm, I love reading. And so I think kind of having that. So we didn't talk a lot about my mom's influence on me, but she works at the Zimmerman Library at, at UNM and the University of New Mexico. And she is just, I think, a big influence on me in that way, because I spent, you know, if I wasn't at the basketball court, I was in the library with her. And so she works there in government documents. But you know, that's, a, that's the main library at UNM. So right. I spent my childhood just like running through those uh, stacks and learning how to use the Dewey Decimal System and reading <laughs> constantly. Like I was very um, curious and always reading a book. That was something that um, I did a lot as a kid and I still read a lot of books. And so I think when you're a voracious reader, it's like you're probably really, really interested in stories. And I just love um, hearing other people share what they've learned and what they've taken away from their own experiences. And so, you know, it, it's kind of a dream come true. Like I'm really excited that I'm finally in a place where I can provide a platform for other indigenous runners, but also other runners. My, my goal for the podcast is to interview 
obviously a, a heavy slate of indigenous runners. I really want that representation to come through. I want to have some cool conversations with people in my own community and um, make that a center of what I'm doing. Um, but I also want to have conversations with non-native runners. And I want, I really want um, this podcast to be useful and inspiring for people of all backgrounds. And I'm hoping to talk to runners of all levels, all the way, you know, from people like me to the pros. And I think, I think, that that is a in, just an interesting an interesting way to to connect to people and and learn more about the world. <laughs> I completely agree. It's um, pretty similar to my <laughs> to my goals as well, which I think yeah. is amazing. And I think the more people out there sharing sharing these stories, it's you're never going to run out of stories. That's for sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, wait wait until you are editing and having to listen to your voice over and over again that that part <laughs> that that's been interesting for me <laughs> i am not looking forward to that <laughs> i'm about to start the editing process actually and i'm really hoping to push some of that onto my partner <laughs> luckily <laughs> he has said he will help me with some of the editing but I, we're both kind of amateurs at that stuff. So it's going to be a joint effort. Like we're learning on the go. Hopefully at some point, one day down the road, I can like pay somebody every for every single episode to edit. But I think until then, it's definitely a, a homegrown project. And I'm trying to put my resources and time into um, into stuff that that's smart for me and my setup and what I'm doing here right now. But I think it's important to gain the skill of editing. So it's something I'm interested in and I'm just, yeah, I'm not looking forward to listening to my voice <laughs> over and over. <laughs> so yeah, it's definitely something that I'll have to deal with and get used to. Oh man. Editing is, is such like, uh, that is that if it's, I feel the same as you. Like, I feel it's important to know, but man, if I, if I could pay someone to do it right now, I totally would because it is right. Yeah. Oh, uh, the, the, this part, this part, the talking and hearing the stories and laughing and like that part's great. And, and, you know, when you go back and edit, like it is fun to kind of relive that, like getting mm -hmm. to listen through again, like, oh yeah, that was fun. Cause you know, whether it's a week, two weeks, three weeks, however far in advance you record to be able to mm -hmm. listen again, it's like, oh, yeah, that was fun. Oh, I forgot about that. You know, it's it's a whole other experience, but it, it can be just kind of a, oh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, I feel you. And we're both people with uh, with jobs that, right. that are, are going to be running podcasts. And um, I think a lot of people do that. A lot of people have to work a full-time job. And I, I know I'm passionate about my job, but you seem passionate about your job, but we still have to put in that extra time to bring this content to people. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Cause you're, you know, in, in our podcast, you're, you know, you're talking to the person beforehand, you're, you're messaging back and forth between, um, you know, there's a, there's a lot that goes into it kind of to get that hour or, or however long you need. That's, you know, definitely um, beyond that hour. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You know, when you when you talk about, you know, having, you know, starting to interview people and, and being on the other side of that mic, you know, does kind of some of that admission process, you know, talking through people and, and walking through people certain things, certain through certain things, because you have to get to know them a little bit too. Does mm -hmm. that kind of help you with this process as well? 
You know, that's a fascinating question. And I have not ever connected those two things until you just asked me that. But probably, yeah, I I have to imagine that's a huge part of it. I know for sure admissions sharpened my public speaking skills. I think at a at a base level, I spent three years giving information sessions about Yale and uh, traveling. So I, I was an admissions officer for really a majority of the Mountain West, but it was several states. So I would go on fall travel every year and I would travel through all the states that I, um, or you know, most of the states that I read for, and I would meet families. I would do uh, night sessions at high schools where there might be there could be 20 people and there could be 300 people, you know, and you kind of never knew what you were going to get. You never knew what the setup was going to be, but you knew that you had to, you know, get as much information across about Yale as authentically as possible. And so I really, I think I gathered a lot of skills from that experience of traveling, of talking to people, of meeting people. And I think in terms of reading applications, yeah, it was was a really holistic process. We looked at every piece of what people submitted and used that to craft a profile um, of a student the best that we could, you know. And I think that skill definitely translates into podcasting, into journalism, into writing, because I am usually looking at things from all angles. And I'm trying to understand somebody from, uh, I think, a new and fresh perspective. So I know you and I both listen a lot to Mario Frioli's podcast, The Morning Shakeout, and also Tina Weir's podcast. And I think they're both really good examples of people that ask really interesting questions and they try to to bring a fresh perspective to a conversation and, you know, pull out a different angle from people's experiences. Because in the running world, I think we do hear from a lot of the same pro runners on a lot of the podcasts. So I think that's why it's so important to have um, somebody who's indigenous or somebody who's Navajo or somebody who's, um, you know, from New Mexico hosting these things, because we're going to have those different experiences we have are going to prompt us to ask new and exciting questions of people we may have heard from several times. And I think that is something I, I think, know because of admissions. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it's definitely, it's definitely primed me for this type of work in a, in a weird way. Uh, so I'm, I'm grateful for that. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. And it is, it's interesting, you know, uh, Mario Frioli's and, and, Tina Muir's podcasts are so different too, because, you know, Mario comes from like a journalistic background and Mm -hmm. Tina Muir doesn't like, she's just, I think she's just a runner who started a podcast and, and their questioning is so different, but it works on, on so many different ways, which is, you know, for, for me to be able to hear that, like, Oh, you can just kind of do it like that is, is kind of cool. Right. Yeah, exactly. I I really like their interview styles. Like you said, super different, but I spend a lot of time, as I'm sure you do, listening to podcasts now almost as research. Like I was already a podcast listener. I was already flying through episodes, but you know, I might stay in my little comfortable zone of one or two shows I like a lot. And lately I've been trying to listen to as much as I can, non-sports related and sports related um, both, because I'm trying to understand different interview styles, um, how people have conversations, um, you know, what, 
what are what's people's cadence of speaking? Um, I'm just trying to get a, a sense of what's out there and what what makes uh, what makes a popular and good podcast. And it's it's been an interesting few months doing that, and I found a lot of cool shows. <laughs> um, so it's definitely uh, it's definitely worthwhile. At, at this point, I would say my podcast listening definitely rivals my TV watching, even <laughs> to an extent. Uh, so yeah, it's been fun. <laughs> Oh, yeah. And it's it's so interesting too. like I'll listen to, you know, someone I'm like, oh, that is a good question. And you got to that from that. Wait, what? And just, you know, trying to go through through all those different things. And, and even with you, because you had been on a couple of previous podcasts and a lot of people I've interviewed haven't. I'm like, OK, so I don't want to you know, I don't want to ask the same question. So how can I ask and, yeah. and ask a little bit differently or or bring out something different to it? And it, it really does. It's can go so many different ways it's it's so it could be so unique to the to the interviewer yeah i think it's a great art form i'm that's that's really what attracted me to podcasting as well as it you can make it what what you want <laughs> absolutely you know obviously right now we're kind of working you know with covid restrictions and everything i think most people are doing you know virtual uh non-in-person interviews which is what we're doing right now you know, going forward, hopefully, you know, hopefully things will get better. Um, are you thinking of kind of being able to meet with people one on one to interview them to have that connection? I think that would be ideal. But for me, I'm not a runner based in a in a spot that's flush with, uh, I would say like professional running activity, but I will say we have a lot of running here. Like we've had some great indoor meets in Albuquerque. We've got some great collegiate athletes. We've got a strong native community. So I definitely have a lot of people here that I'm interested in, um, into in folding into my podcast and having them as guests that, and those hopefully, yes, absolutely. I would love to be able to do some of those in person. Um, but I think in the future, like, unless I'm traveling to a major race or event, it's probably more effective to be doing these remote interviews. I think a lot of people have figured them out. If you can get a decent sound quality, which is a toss up, of course, um, you, you know, you can really, you can really run this, uh, from home, but yeah, I think, I think ideally it's so fun to have a conversation with somebody in person. And I definitely have big dreams of, of having live shows and being able to eventually move into some type of hosting or maybe even race announcing and things like that, that um, would be really exciting for me. So uh, hoping that, you know, once things are in place, uh, I can get back to it. I was actually supposed to run the New York city marathon in 2020. Um, uh. Obviously that didn't happen. <laughs> um, so I have no idea. I was, I was actually running, on behalf of Girls Inc., the charity uh, in New York oh, wow. City. Yeah. And I was very excited about that opportunity. It was actually going to be my first marathon. So even though I've run several half marathons and all the other distances, I have not run a marathon before. And I was looking forward to it, but it was canceled. And I haven't heard word as to when we'll be running that or if I'll even have my spot reserved um, moving forward or anything like that. So we'll see. (laughs) But hopefully in the future, there will be live shows in uh, available, you know. (laughs) Yeah, I think live shows, you know, even just at local races, I've thought about that, too. I mean, having a live show at the Mm -hmm. Duke City Marathon (laughs) and and things like that, you know, the, you know, uh, La Luz Trail Run, I I think Mm -hmm. those would just be so much fun so you know i think our 
our worlds are going to continue to kind of um, circle around each other. So I'm excited for that. And, you know, we'll have to definitely do some some team ups and talk again. And, and I'm I'm excited to have another, uh, you know, local podcaster here and talking about running. And that's just for me, it's exciting. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm so excited that you reached out to me and that we connected and that I found your podcast. Um, I, I definitely think you're just doing awesome work here interviewing New Mexico athletes. It's something that I think if you're from here, it means so much. And it's like so insightful to hear from these people that I've either watched while I was growing up or ran next to, right? <laughs> like in high school myself. Um, so it's it's just really awesome. And I, I definitely am excited to see how our paths will cross and hopefully we can we can do something together in the future too, hopefully. Yeah, yeah, that'd be cool. So I, I think this is a good uh, place to wrap up. You know, before I get to my final question that I ask everybody, I, I had a question that I that I made a note of earlier because I was I was just curious personally. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you, you said you and your partner, well, I guess fiance now, um, yeah. were, you know, when he was helping you kind of talk about it and, and, and apply for the fellowship, were enjoying some uh, local beers. I'm just curious, what what uh, what brewery were you guys drinking from? Yeah. So actually that night, I will shout out two places. That night we were drinking Sidetrack Brewing. Um, so we are we love local beer. We're definitely people who pre-pandemic, we were frequenting a lot of the breweries here, uh, post-run or even just on a Friday <laughs> night. And our, but I will say our favorite is definitely Bow and Arrow. Indigenous owned. We're, we are really excited about the work Missy and Shyla are doing at Bow and Arrow. I love their Sunbloom beer, which they dropped this um, this fall. And it's one of my favorites. So you can usually find me sipping on that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's good to know. I haven't tried them yet, so I'll have to give them a shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Highly recommend bow and arrow. <laughs> awesome. Good to know. All right. So the last question that I ask everybody, you know, what are you listening to to get you kind of pumped, motivated, maybe out the door for that run? Yeah. So I've, I was trying to think about this because I've been all over the place this, uh, this winter and I've been listening to so many podcasts that honestly, you can usually, I'll, I'll give you my podcast answer and my music answer, but usually for podcasts, I'm listening to Allie on the run. I think she has really motivating conversations. Uh, love what, what she does over there. And then for music, it's kind of a mix for me between honestly, Taylor Swift <laughs> um, and probably like Fleetwood Mac. Most people who know me know I love those. I love both of those artists so much. I have such a wide range of music taste. Uh, so for me, anything you pop on by those two artists, I'm good to go. I'm ready. <laughs> awesome. That's why I love asking that question because it's just you get some interesting answers and it's just a little <laughs> yeah. bit different so <laughs> awesome well like i said this has been a ton of fun and i know we're going to be talking again and and connecting you know as long as we're both doing this so thanks again for being on thanks again for talking about the the tracksmith fellowship your podcast i i, I didn't realize i was going to be the first one that that you were kind of talking about this with. So I'm excited. Yeah. About that, so thank you for that. <laughs> um, is there anything else you'd like to add before I let you go? No. Um, I think that's about it. You can follow me on Instagram at Danae underscore pink 22. 
22 is my number in high school. So, <laughs> um, um, yeah. And, and just stay tuned or you can follow at grounded pod on Instagram for updates about the podcast. Uh, I think it's on Twitter as well. So yeah, thank you so much for having me. This has been really fun. <laughs> I'd once again like to thank my guest for their time, and thank you for tuning in. If you have the opportunity, please rate and review wherever you listen to your podcasts, or just help spread the word. Music was provided by Philip Friedman. You can follow him on SoundCloud at DJ Teach. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at RunningNM. Feel free to drop me a line or shoot me an email at RunningNewMexico at gmail.com if you have any questions or know of someone who should be interviewed. In the meantime, keep running, New Mexico.